please stand and join me for the call to worship. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the living God. This is the day when we rejoice in God's act of creation. This is our Sabbath when we rejoice in the resurrection of Jesus the Christ. We give thanks that once more God has brought us together, that we might refresh one another. Peace to all who enter here. Peace this day and every day. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. bow with me in prayer please in the name of the risen Christ we gather for worship today we do not see God and yet we believe enough to gather we believe enough to gather here to worship so may the unseen God be present in our midst may the unseen Jesus fill us with the Holy Spirit and may the eyes of faith that we have been blessed with may we see God at work and rejoice in it. Amen. Good morning. We want to take a moment to welcome you all to Southside Baptist Church here in the heart of 
Five Points South. We are blessed and excited to have you with us here, whether you are a first-time visitor or a long-time member. Uh, I'm so glad that God has called us together here as we are to worship Him. This is an exciting time at Southside, and I wanted to tell you briefly about a publication that we will be sending out in the weeks to come. This is part newsletter, part periodical magazine, um, but it's going to be packed with articles and pictures that celebrate the variety of individuals and ministries that we have here at Southside. And we want to make sure we get you a copy of that, so if you would, uh, as you fill out the uh, roll sheets here on the end of the pews, if there is a new uh, mailing address or a new email address that we need to be aware of, please include that so we can make sure that we get it to you. Uh, and I want to welcome especially our guests this morning. If you are here for the first time or if you have been visiting for some time, we are so happy that you are with us. If you too would take a moment uh, and give us a little bit of information, what will happen is tomorrow morning myself or Dr. Kelly will take a few moments to write to you and let you know how happy we are that you were able to be with us for worship and give you some more information on our church and how uh, you can stay informed with what's going on here. Uh, it's a wonderful day to be here. It's a wonderful day to worship. So we invite you to stand as Dr. Banks and the choir leads us in hymn 209. Our first reading from scripture this morning is found in the book of Isaiah, the 40th chapter, verses 21 through 31. It's a familiar reading for most of us. You've heard it time and time again, but it always is encouraging as we, we read it and allow it to speak to our hearts, to encourage us, and to inspire us. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has not been told you from the beginning, 
Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretch out the heavens like a curtain, who spreads them like a tent to live in, who brings peace and princes to naught, and makes the rulers of the earth as nothing. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has there been stem even taken root, when he blows upon them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host and numbers them, calling them all by name, because he is great in strength, mighty in power. No one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength, and they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Here ends our first reading. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Everybody doing okay? High school, pretty busy. Taking tests, getting ready for the end of the year. The teachers are trying to get everything done. How about you? Doing all that work? Okay, me too. I understand too because I'm busy too. Well, what I wanted to talk about today is I think, and this is my idea, I think that the reason, one of the reasons that God gave us the Bible is that it's because it's full of stories about people like us. Do you remember some of the stories from the Bible? People that have good times, people that have sad times, but there are a lot of stories, especially the ones that Jesus told about people um, of God's love and forgiveness, and so he sort of teaches through his stories about how we are to live and treat other people. So that's one of the things that I like about the Bible and things that I remember are the stories. Well, today I have a story for you, and it's about a little elephant, and it's also about a baby warthog. Do you know what a warthog is? Do you remember in The Lion King from Pumbaa? Remember Pumbaa? He was not the cutest thing in the world, was he? No, he wasn't. He was pretty silly. He didn't look as cute as some of the other animals. Well, this is a story of a little elephant. 
and he was with a great herd of animals, and the animals are traveling, and they were trying to find the green grass and the lush meadows because they were pretty hungry. And they had been traveling a long time. Everybody was pretty grouchy, like you do when you travel for a long time. But there was one little elephant, and just like kids like to do, he wanted to play. So he found another, a little baby warthog. And of course, they enjoyed playing with each other. Well, not everyone was nice to that little warthog. You know, they're not as cute as can be. He said that his, the little warthog's brothers teased her and called her ugly names. And then it said that the, that the hyenas made fun of her because she was little. And the, and the elephant, little baby elephant says, I don't understand because she can play hide and seek better when she's little. And then the little red frogs made fun of her because she had little bristles all over her body, like little warthogs do. And the baby elephant said, I don't understand this. Her bristles tickle my, tongue, my trunk, and we can laugh, and we can play, and we have fun when that happens. And then the ostriches came along, and they made fun of the little warthog because she had a big snout big nose, big round nose, and the little elephant said, I don't understand this. You have that big snout, and it can push the ball faster, and we can run and play better because of that snout. And that sort of worried that little elephant. When he went home that night to his mommy, he said, you know, they're making fun of this little warthog because he looks different. He, is, he doesn't look as cute as some of the other animals. And the mother said, well, that's because you see what's on the inside and the others are looking at the outside of the little warthog, and hopefully one day they will see what you see. So the next day, the herd of animals are still traveling. They're trying to find the green meadows and the pasture so they can eat the food, and they get to the mountain, and they don't see that green pasture. They say, where is it? Where is it? And the little warthog said, I think I can help. He says, I have a great snout that can smell the green grass and the scent of the flowers. And so he led the, all the herd of the animals to the green pastures because he could smell it where the other animals could not. And then all the animals were, were ashamed because they had, made, they had made fun of this little warthog. But even though they were mean to her, she forgave them. And she helped them. And suddenly, all the animals saw what that little elephant knew all along, that she was truly beautiful. Now, you know, sometimes, sometimes we make mistakes, don't we? And the Bible is full of people who make mistakes. But there's also stories of forgiveness. And we're gonna, we hear a lot of stories of Jesus telling it, you know, we need to forgive each other, and we need to also learn to look on the inside and to see what a person truly is, and that, that everyone is beautiful. Okay. Can we have a prayer? Can we bow our heads and have a prayer? Dear God, we thank you so much for the Bible. We thank you for the stories of Jesus that, that teach us how to live and teach us what's truly important. I thank you for all these children. I ask you that you bless their lives and help them to see with your eyes. In Jesus' name, amen.
Will you join me in prayer this morning? Gracious God, you have called us to follow in the way of your risen Son, to care for all those who are our companions, not only with words of comfort, but also with acts of love. As we come to you this morning, we confess that often we are like Thomas with our questions and our doubts. We sometimes need to see in order to believe, but most of all, we need you in order to have faith. Lord, we too need peace that you bring us because our world, often our own lives, are fraught with unrest and unanswered questions. Lord, may the doors of our church always be open to all, even those who doubt, that their doubts and their questions might be welcomed here. We thank you that you invite us to bring all that we are into your presence, our joys, our concerns, our petitions, and our praise, as well as our doubts and fears. And in these situations, we pray that we would find that you will guide us into right paths, guide us not only in our own lives, but guide us to use who we are and all that we have to bring the message of your goodness to others round about us. Day by day, breathe your spirit into our lives and renew our faith. We pray this morning for all who may walk in darkness, in the tunnel vision of daily life with struggles, struggles of despair, addictions, and hopelessness. Lord, we pray that we may be a means of help to all who need to know your grace and mercy and love. May we share the good news of resurrection, but live it out in our daily life with a care and concern for all that we come into contact with. In a world of great need, we bring our prayers to you this morning for this world. We think in particular of the earthquake and the disaster that has hit the country of Nepal with over 2,000 people dead and so many more homeless and frightened and fearful of the future. We pray for all those who are seeking to bring aid and bring comfort and bring help to those in need. We pray that as we live in the warmth of our homes that make us comfortable, lead us to ensure that others may have a roof over their heads and a place to sleep. Generous God, we offer you our lives today. We pray that you might hear the prayers of our minds and our hearts through Jesus Christ, your only Son, our Savior, who taught us to pray with confidence, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen.
scripture reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, and reading from verse 24 through to verse 29. If you're able, will you stand for the reading of the Gospel? Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. And reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. The word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. When our youngest daughter, Stephanie, had uh, her second child, a little boy, a couple of years ago, we were told that his name was going to be Daniel Thomas. I like that wonderful combination. Not in any way a kind of oxymoron, because strong faith represented by Daniel can coexist with the reality of doubt represented by Thomas. They often live together in our own spiritual journeys, if we're honest enough. I confess there are some days when it's more easy to believe than others. This is why I think I like Thomas. Thomas has had a bad press. He probably needed a a good PR expert to help him, because the only thing we think about when we think of Thomas is that he was a doubter. Imagine going through your life just because on one particular occasion you expressed some thoughts and concerns that the rest of the disciples' group were all expressing in their own lives anyway. We all have doubts from time to time. It's the normal part of living the life of faith. We shouldn't begrudge Thomas for the occasional doubt. There are other aspects of his life that we'll see this morning that we can emulate What Jesus longs for in this post-resurrection appearance is that Thomas might come to believe, might come back into a living relationship with himself so that when he encounters the risen Christ, his doubts don't completely disappear, but his life is transformed. And he comes to this amazing confession when he says, my Lord and my God. The Gospel of John begins with John thinking about who Jesus is. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. But no one except Thomas near the end of the gospel comes to this wonderful occasion when he says, my Lord and my God. He suddenly discovered who Jesus was. Because there's such an intimate connection between faith and doubt, the the church ought to be big enough 
to welcome people who are struggling with both. It's possible to believe and to doubt for the wrong reasons as well as the right ones. And we don't always know the one from the other. We need help. Doubt is not always, however, detrimental to faith as we sometimes imagine. And the church should be as, ex- as inclusive as possible of all sorts of people. Thomas the empiricist, as well as John the mystic, and Peter, who was often baffled and confused. We all come into the presence of the risen Christ. We meet him in our own particular way, and he says to all of us, peace be with you. Now, Thomas wasn't with the other disciples on that first occasion on the first Easter Sunday evening when Jesus showed them his hands and his side and said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me into the world, so send I you into the world. And he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then the disciples told him, hey, Thomas, we've seen the Lord, just as the the women saw him at the empty tomb. And Thomas did not believe. I wonder how many preachers down through the years, myself included, who have said, well, Thomas missed the service, and so he missed the blessing. Don't miss church. If that's the main point of the story, then please stop the bus. I want to get off. Perhaps he was tired of all the pity parties they were having, looking inward, thinking about their past and their present with no hope for the future. I can do with one less of these kind of meetings, perhaps, he thought. I like the suggestion that Thomas actually wasn't ready. Perhaps Thomas had been so traumatized by the crucifixion of his Lord that he needed time to process all that was happening. One commentator, Bruce Milne, says the death of Jesus was such an overwhelming reality that he must get alone to try and come to terms with it. He loved Jesus. He needed to be on his own to think it all through to try and make sense of it all. Perhaps he was a bit more introvert than some of the other disciples. He needed time on his own. I like Thomas. Anyway, it's totally understandable, certainly to me, that when Thomas is told that they've seen the risen Christ, he's incredulous, and he says, I won't believe it until I see it with my own eyes. And then suddenly, a week later, when he's there with them, Jesus appears, and he says the same thing that he had said seven days before, peace be with you. Not really any words of recrimination. He does say, stop doubting and believe, but he would say that to anybody. He doesn't rebuke Thomas. He doesn't say, where were you last week, man? (laughs) He just says, peace be with you. William Sloan Coffin wrote a book entitled Letters to a Young Doubter. He wrote, in my experience, religious faith, despite doubts, is far stronger than one without doubt. Doubt moves you forward, not backward, just as long as you doubt out of a love of truth, not out of some pathological need to doubt. Another writer, can't remember who it was, says, the doubts are the ants in your pants that keep you moving forward. Faith doesn't have to be strong to be faith. Jesus told a parable on one occasion when he said that faith can be as small as a mustard seed. The smallest known seed at that time. He said, if your faith is just small, that's enough. Glenn Hinson says, if there's a slit in the shade, 
a crack under the door, or just a keyhole when day dawns. The light comes in and refracts throughout the entire room until it illuminates everything. If you can open it just a little, the love will come in. Faith doesn't need to be strong to be faith. We can say with that man who brought his child to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Faith is often mingled with doubt. It's only too natural. It's even healthy, I think, because it pushes us to reflect more deeply and reflect more meaningfully on what is true. When we face doubts, we can have three reactions. We can, as I've seen in among some students at Samford, we can face the doubts and we can give up believing entirely and reject God and everything we've known in the past out of our lives. Or secondly, and I've seen this perhaps more often, we can suppress our feelings and retreat into an inflexible faith where everything is accepted as certain and questions are no longer asked or even allowed. We become almost fanatical about our faith and we don't allow anyone to question it at all. Or we can face our doubts directly, carefully re-examining what we believe, why we believe, working on reconstructing a world of faith that makes sense to us. The Christian life, the life of discipleship, is a life of learning. We don't learn really by rote to achieve good test scores. The church is not about that. Discipleship is about raising questions, and the goal of it is to enable us as Christians to acquire the capacity to inquire, to create, to innovate, to challenge, to explore. The discovery of Scripture, of theology, of the life of faith is an adventure, an exploration of seeking to understand, and in seeking to understand and to believe in the midst of doubt, to have a real relationship with God. Jürgen Moltmann says that theology is an adventure of ideas, a theology of curiosity, not speculation, but rooted in the reality of the incarnate, crucified, and risen Jesus Christ, but living in a suffering world, living in a world of questions, of doubts, of fears, of uncertainties, discovering that in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is not an answer to all of our questions, but we can bring our questions to Him, and we can ask for help in resolving them. But back to Thomas. What do we know about him? Well, actually, we know more about him than you would think, and it all really comes from John's gospel. I know he's always described as doubting Thomas, but there are other aspects to his character. Only in the fourth gospel does Thomas emerge from obscurity to some centrality, even if it's a rather enigmatic situation. When he's first introduced in chapter 11, verse 16, we're told that he's called the twin. And the author of John's gospel repeats this on two other occasions. Was it a nickname? My question is, who was his twin? (laughs) I mean, why don't you tell us? Maybe it's something I don't need to know, but I would like to know it. Obviously, the people who read the gospel the first time were meant to know. It was obvious. So it was obviously some significant person within the Christian faith, but we don't know. 
In John 11, we find Thomas in the story of Lazarus, when news comes of Lazarus's illness, and Jesus speaks of his death, and Thomas says, oh well, let's go and die with him. Now, at first sight, it looks like a kind of depressive person that Thomas is. Gloom. Look at the words and you see despair all over them. Everything's black. We're going back to Bethany. It's going to be curtains. We're going to get stoned. We're going to die. We're going to get killed. Let's go and die with him. And yet I wonder if there's another explanation. Does Thomas perhaps the only one amongst all the disciples, is Thomas beginning to see the significance of who Jesus is? That to go to Bethany is to go closer to Jerusalem, to go closer to that event that Jesus has been telling them about, that he must go to Jerusalem, he must take up his cross, he must die. And he's been saying to his disciples, and if you want to follow me, you must take up your cross and follow me. And perhaps Thomas is the only one who's beginning to get it. And so he says, let's go and die with him. If that's what it takes to be a follower of Jesus, says Thomas, I'm in for the full journey. If that's the case, then Thomas is a realist, but he's also somebody who's committed to following Jesus. And then in the upper room, Jesus says to them, you know the way to the place where I'm going. Silence. They're all thinking it, but Thomas asks, well, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? I do like Thomas. He asks good questions. Everybody else wants to pretend they know like by being in the class and you're listening to the professor or the teacher and saying something and nobody's following exactly what they're saying until somebody raises their hand tentatively. It reminds me of some years ago when I began a seminar at Samford and I was waxing eloquent, as I always do, of course, when 10 minutes into the seminar, somebody raised their hand and said, Dr. Roxborough, that wasn't the chapter you asked us to read for today. <laughs> Well, Thomas is a bit like that. Lord, we don't know the way. Why don't you tell us more about it? For Thomas in John 14, the thought of losing Jesus, the thought of him not being there, was overwhelming. And now it's happened. And he doesn't know where the Lord is. And he's overwhelmed with questions. Now, after all, after the resurrection, all the disciples doubted. They doubted the story of the women. They thought it was idle tales. It seems that Jesus needed to convince them all that he was risen. Even the women who had either seen Jesus or hadn't needed to see him deliberately in order to believe. But think of how life would be without doubt. The operatives of doubt is certainty. Give someone certainty and a lot of people want that absolute certainty about the Christian faith and the Christian life and about life generally, and we have no doubts whatsoever. But you see, a life without doubt is a life without faith. Paul says we walk by faith, not by sight. It's only sight, and even sight can't give us certainty. We sometimes want more than we really need. We need to walk by faith 
in the midst of the mysteries of life. Jesus says it this way in this story. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. I like that. Come to believe. It's a process. And it takes more time for some people than others. And that's not because they are lacking faith. Because the first person to confess the divinity of Jesus was so-called doubting Thomas. As I say, when Jesus met Thomas, there's no lectures, there's no stern rebuke, there's no real chastisement, there's just another message, peace be with you. Weary soul, confused soul, troubled soul, questioning soul, whoever we are this morning, Jesus says, come to me. Come to me and find in me your rest. Come to me with doubts. Come to me with questions. Come and tell me exactly how you're feeling. Bruce Milne writes, faith's agony and the experience of Thomas says to us that faith is not always a straightforward affair. Now, we can identify with Thomas when he's asking questions like, why? Why did it have to happen, Lord? Where were you? Where are you? What does the future hold for us all? Abigail Evans says, when we are in the midst of sickness and suffering, life can become almost an intolerable burden. We may want to give this gift back to God. Life is precious, and when serious illness interrupts our journey, we feel cheated no matter what our age. We need to place our understanding of life within the context of Jesus who accepts us just as we are. Faith struggles with doubt. It's a vital part of the Christian life, our walk with Christ, our development. When we come through it all, our faith will not be destroyed, but will be increased, will be strengthened. A faith that is tested is well-founded. We know to the core of our being that we have a faith for living, for suffering, and for helping others. What happened to Thomas? He disappears off the scene. He's not mentioned by name in the Acts of the Apostles. Well, there's significant evidence that he went to India as an apostle, an evangelist. The St. Thomas Christians, as they are known, are an ancient body of Christians in southwest India who trace their origins to the evangelistic apostolic ministry of Thomas. Philip Jenkins, research professor at Baylor University, speaks of them using Syriac and numbering about seven million Thomas Christians, Catholic, Orthodox, Protestants. They're in various communities of faith in that country today. Although Thomas may remain for us a shadowy figure, it's very probable that he followed the Roman trade routes and eventually found himself in India and told the story of the risen Christ who came to believe. Seven million Thomas Christians? That's not bad for a doubter. Shall we pray? We bring all that we are to all that you are. We come with all our questions, our fears, our doubts, our anxieties, our uncertainties. And we come, we pray, risen Lord, 
to hear you say to us, peace be with you. And for you once again to breathe into our lives that we may receive the gift of your love, the gift of your presence, the gift of your Holy Spirit. Through Jesus Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Our hymn of dedication of response is the hymn number 407, My Faith Looks Up to Thee. Tim will be at the front to receive any who would perhaps like to make a public profession of faith or of need within your life this morning. 407. Please pray with me. Gracious Lord, my creator, my sustainer, I feel so wonderfully blessed with all that you have given. How can I bless you, Lord? Speak to me. Allow me to hear you 
give me the desire to listen. Let my heart feel what you want me to do for you. May my tithes today bless your church here at Southside, and may my daily actions help to strengthen your kingdom here on earth. In your loving name we pray. Amen.
as we worship the one true and living God. Today, as we prepare to go out, we do so with a, a call, a, a challenge, I think, by Dr. Roxburgh, as he has said, we go forth to spread the love of God, to have and live out that peace that Christ has blessed us with. We ask today that those who are guests, if we welcome them once again, linger long enough that we'll be able to speak to you as we have a little reception there in the narthex for you, for all people that are here. Give, it, give us a chance to greet you and get to know you. Also, I want to mention one thing about the flowers today. These flowers were left by the bride's family, whose um, bride and groom were married here yesterday. The family has long ties to the south side. I'm not sure it's the family that I was told it was, but I think it is. The Miley family, I'm not sure, but it was a great-grandchild that was married, and of course, the uh, family goes back generations here. So there is that legacy that lives on as people just as common lived out their faith where they were planted. Dr. Roxbury is going to come and have our benediction. Go with the peace of God. And as you go, know that he who was with Thomas is with you in the days that lie ahead. Amen.